O gracious God, may the word to my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable to thee. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Let the people say, Amen. Jesus had an occupational hazard. Can you say with me, Jesus had a occupational hazard. Might we remind ourselves of what an occupational hazard is? There is a danger or an inherent risk in one's work to be done. For example, let's use the, the trucks that Sarah just used a moment ago in the children's sermon. For truck drivers, an occupational hazard would be the threat of a mechanical breakdown or accident on the highway. Yet there's no way that a truck driver could avoid using the highways for his or her job depends on driving those highways. The danger or hazard of having a breakdown or accident will always be part of the job. Such risks are an occupational hazard. Jesus' occupational hazard began when he entered his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, opened the scroll to Isaiah, opened his mouth to speak Isaiah. And after quoting Isaiah, Jesus told the good people of his hometown synagogue that Isaiah's prophecy had just been fulfilled in hearing what Jesus had spoken. What happened next, one might say, was that Jesus' occupational hazard had begun. A hazardous road of ministry that would end on a cross and in an empty Easter tomb. Would you join with me as we hear again this story from Luke's Gospel? Jesus came home on a Sabbath day, a day for synagogue and scripture all along the small town of Galilee, about 20 miles southwest of his new home of Capernaum. Jesus had made the walk back to his old hometown of Nazareth. The walk home would have been a gradual walk of 2,100 feet up to the line of hills above the shores of the Galilean Sea. Along the way, there would be some hills that had sharp drop-offs or cliffs. Nazareth itself was built on such a hill. 20 miles on foot gives a person time to think. Once Jesus cleared the crest of hills, he could look back along the Sea of Galilee's smooth curve, bending to the north, east, and see the small towns that dotted its shores. These tiny towns were a mix of Gentile and Jew, and in whose synagogues, Jesus taught and received great praise. Those were the early days, the springtime of Jesus' Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. Days that had come on the heels of a spirit-fortified 40-day fast and test of temptation. And in turn, those 40 days had come on the heels of a Jordan River-washed baptism touched and assured by the Holy Spirit 
as the voice from above said, this is my beloved son, in you I take great delight. Now the Holy Spirit was again stirring in God's beloved son, urging him to return to his Jewish hometown where he was known as the carpenter's son. Spirit onward to the hometown synagogue to make known who and whose he is. Spirit onward to the hometown synagogue to make plain his mission. In those days, a reading from one of the prophets would come near the end of a synagogue worship. Any adult male could stand up and read from one of the scrolls to discuss it, to preach it. On that Nazarene synagogue Sabbath, there would be no ordinary man reading and discussing scripture. After the synagogue, congregation had said the Shema, the uh, hero Israel, God is thy Lord, God is one. And after they had prayed facing in the direction of Jerusalem and said the congregational amen, only then did our 20 mile walker stand up as was the custom, signaling that he would read from one of the scrolls of the prophets. A hazan, or attendant, perhaps recognizing Joseph's son, handed Jesus a scroll from Isaiah. And Jesus unscrolled the scroll to the first verse and what we now know as the, 20, the, the 61st chapter of Isaiah. And from Isaiah, Jesus spoke the servant's song. Upon me, the spirit of the Lord rests, because he has Christos me, anointed me to announce good news to the poor, sent me to release the captive, to give sight to the blind, to free those sore pressed, to usher the acceptable year of Jubilee. Spirit filled, this servant Christ then rolled back the scroll, gave it back to the Hazan, and sat down. And all eyes were fixed on Jesus. Today, Jesus began to preach. These words became true in me the moment you heard them spoken. Oh, how the congregation made over their hometown boy, whispering approval and puzzlement, saying, isn't this Joseph's son? The rumors from Galilee were true. He is amazing. And to think such word came from the son of a woodworker. Really? And then the living word worker spoke. And what he would say seemed to pick a fight with his hometown and to make more hazardous his declared occupation. I'm just waiting for y'all to tell me, Doc, heal yourself, said Jesus, quoting a local byword. I'm just waiting for you to tell me to do here for the, for the hometown folks what I did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. 
No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Uh, can we pause here a moment? What preacher in their right mind would discourage a congregation thumbs up, great sermon preacher? But Jesus' mind was right with the Spirit. It was Jesus' hometown mind that was not right with the Spirit. Nor were they right with his message, nor him as Messiah. Jesus would make clear that not only did he come today to bring the goods, but that he himself were the goods. The Christ, the anointed one, to be good news to people long oppressed and long overdue, a release from all kinds of prison, real and spiritual. Lifting up two of Israel's favored prophets, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus reminded the hometown folks the extent of God's covenant of blessing extend beyond Israel's borders, religious status, and culture, saying, our ancestors were in the depths of an unforgettable three-and-a-half-year drought and famine. And there were many widows, but who did God send to feed not a an Israelite, but the prophet Elijah to feed a Canaanite woman in a town north of our borders along the Phoenician coast. And Jesus asserts his point more. After Elisha took Elijah's ministry, Israel had many sick with skin disease, but who does Elisha clean of leprosy? Naaman, a Syrian general a foe of Israel's armies. That was it. Worship was over. Enraged, they skipped the benediction and bid death to Jesus. Their rage was an angry sin as old as killer Cain, cynical retort to God, am I my brother's keeper? They cared not for this Messiah's message of compassion for foreigner, cared not for the people outside the covenant. They forgot God's blessing of Abraham to be a blessing for all nations. Drawing on the taproot of Cain's sin, they cared not for a brother of God's creation. And they accepted not this Messiah of the acceptable year of Jubilee, because that might mean true forgiveness. Forcing Jesus to Nazareth's clifftop, they waited not to see Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Hometown prophets, they serve God and country, not the opponents of God and country. So giving Jesus the false prophet treatment, the lynch mob moved to throw Jesus to the rocks below. An easier act, I suppose, than trying to find and throw a multitude of rocks upon one false prophet. Pushed to the cliff brow, Jesus waved through the mob and continued on his way. For there would come the long walk to Jerusalem. There would be the healing, the teaching, the releasing of oppressive powers and forgiveness of sin to come. 
But death was not to be that Nazarene Sabbath day. It would take a nation and an empire, not a hometown, to make sin death wish come true for Jesus. Friends, beloved, who and where are we in this story? Jesus not yet called his disciples, but for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and as God beloved Son, Jesus is alone. But if you were there, where would you be with Jesus? If we are honest with ourselves, we find parts of Jesus' hometown attitude in our attitude. Jesus' hometown sermon finds a Judaism at odds with the scripture and prophets. They were torn discerning the breadth of God's covenant and promise to his chosen people. I think in some ways, we see a similar struggle as citizens of the United States, torn discerning acceptance of migrants at our southern border with the ending verses of Emma Lazarus' national poem posted at the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuge of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Luke's gospel emphasizes that Jesus, shall we say, Statue of Liberty speech was recorded on a Sabbath in a synagogue with a scriptural quote from Isaiah. Yet even in the bosom of this religious community, Jesus hit against a colossal occupational hazard, sin. Using his own community's scripture and prophetic witness, Jesus set the measure of his ministry. Jesus worked to heal the brokenhearted, release of the prisoner, the recovery of sight to the blind, to pronounce jubilee, the forgiveness of debts. Jesus is not the son of Joseph, but the son of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited one of Israel. Jesus' occupational hazard was that his ministry brought him into conflict with the sin of his own people, righteous-seeking people who interpreted their covenant with God to be exclusive rather than inclusive. Jesus' measure of ministry and mission is the plumb line by which we are to measure our ministry. There's lots of advice in our Christian world that tells us how to lead a purpose-driven life. But if we're not following the measure of Christ's jubilee mission, then what good is our purpose? As then, as today, sin finds a way of trying to make God work for us rather than us serve God who is working for all people. If we are to do ministry with Jesus, we might ought to expect 
some hazards in our occupation with Jesus. We all bump up against the hazard of sin that came to Nazareth and my, my brother's keeper, taproot of sin. We all have to struggle with our sin and that of our neighbors. I have to share with you that at my first appointment in East Texas, I had a salty church member who liked to uh, get laughed by being contrarian. You might have met people some like that. He said to me during my first week of my first appointment, Tom, if there was no sin, would there be no need for church? <laughs> well, as I got to know this man, I probably would have answered him, then why are you trying to keep me in business? Our occupation with Jesus will hazard our cultural and political loyalties. Our occupation with Jesus will force us to question our tendency to exclude others rather than include others in the blessings of God's covenant and creation. For as the Holy Spirit gave assurance, affirmation, and power to Jesus to do ministry among the downtrodden of the world, so too the Holy Spirit give us assurance, affirmation, and power to do something for God. So here is the good news. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have new associations with people in Christ because we ask God's question, who needs compassion? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will ease the burdens of those oppressed and captive to evil forces because we ask God's question, who needs attention? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will live with a new language of mercy and forgiveness because we ask God's question, who needs compassion? Being with Jesus will call us to be more human, that is, more the loving image of God we were created to be, to be Jesus' forgiven and healing sinner who is not fearful of rejection and death. In short, we will find ourselves living in the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Following Christ is an occupational hazard. I ask you today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are you in with Jesus? Thanks be to God.